God's Word. Exodus 24 is our Old Testament text. Exodus 24, it's on page 72 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Loved ones, this is God's Word, the most precious thing this world affords. Let's give it our full attention. Now, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I've written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go up to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. And our New Testament text is Matthew 5, verse 8. This is our sermon text. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now. Dear Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts 
to receive Christ. Give us ears that hear His voice, eyes that see His excellency, and hearts that love Him. We pray this for His dear sake. Amen. Jesus here turns His attention on our hearts. He fixes His gaze, He fixes His words on the heart in Matthew 5, 8. He's, of course, He's working through uh, the, these Beatitudes, preaching the coming of the kingdom. And in verse 8, He addresses our hearts. The heart is an important concept in Scripture. Um, Craig Troxell, is an OPC minister, has written a book called with all your heart, and he digs deep into the Bible's teaching on the heart, and he notes in that book that the word heart is used in Scripture almost a thousand times, more than any other word that the Bible uses for the inner self, uses this word heart. Now, in our culture, the heart is typically associated with, with emotions, and that's, that's part of what the Bible has in mind when it uses the word, but, but it's bigger than that in Scripture. And it's bigger than that as Jesus addresses it here as he talks about our hearts. He talks about it as the control center of our lives. The thing that, 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 that motivates and drives us. Right? So it includes our emotions. It also includes our thinking and our decision-making and our actions. Troxel writes this in his book. He says, Everything we think, desire, choose, and live out is generated from this one controlling source and governed from this one point. From the heart flow the springs of life. What the physical heart is to the body for health, the spiritual heart is to the soul for holiness. As goes the heart, so goes the man. It is the helm of the ship. So this is why, right? if that's the biblical understanding of a heart, this is why our Lord Jesus includes in these, in these Beatitudes, right? These are eight defining marks of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. He includes in them what the heart of such a citizen should look like. Right? What should the control center of the inner person who's a disciple of Christ look like? That's vital. That's important. This is the helm of the ship. So Christ addresses the heart. He's going to do this throughout this sermon. He's going to press home the importance of the heart, and he's going to apply the law to our hearts. He's going to remind us in this sermon as we go on, we'll see in the coming weeks as we work through it, that, that um, the law applies to our hearts, that our heart is the, is the battleground of holiness. Right? He, he applies, right? He says, he says, it's not enough that you don't commit murder. You can't be angry in your heart. It's not enough that you don't commit adultery. You can't be lustful in your heart. It's not enough to obey God outwardly to be seen by others. You have to obey God in your inner heart because God looks on the heart. He'll tell us, Jesus will tell us later on in Matthew, Matthew 15, 18 through 19, that the heart is what drives all our action. It's what everything flows from. He says, there out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It all flows from the heart. He'll tell us in Matthew 22, 37, the heart of the law is the love of our hearts for God and for others. So Jesus is not concerned, right, merely with external things as he preaches 
and as he calls people to live lives reflecting him, um, he's concerned with the fundamental state of our hearts. Right? If our obedience, our discipleship is outward only, it is empty. It must be a matter, first and foremost, of our hearts. We might look on the outside. We might be able to perform some kind of some out, outward-looking obedience to Christ. Even these Beatitudes, we might look poor in spirit. We might be able to, to look meek on the outside. Look like we're mourning over our sin. Or look like we're, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We might look merciful. But is our heart in it? That's what Jesus wants. He wants our heart. He says that His disciples must have a disciple's heart. Hearts of the kingdom of heaven. He turns His attention on our hearts. What's our heart supposed to be like? The first thing we see is Jesus' demand that our hearts be pure. This is our first heading this morning. The purity Christ demands. The purity Christ demands. Christ says our hearts must be pure. What is purity of heart? The word translated purity is katharoi. It, it means clean. That's, that's the literal sense of it. it. This reminds us of the rituals in the Old Testament ceremonial law. All the things that are clean and unclean. All the laws for, for ritual cleansing, right? And these things in the Old Testament that were called unclean weren't necessarily sinful things. Uh, you know, they were, they were certain animals are clean, certain animals aren't clean. Certain sicknesses make you unclean. Leprosy makes you unclean. But it doesn't mean that it's a sinful thing. But it's a reminder to the people of God, a visual for them, of the, the dirtiness that sin brings to all of us. This outward ceremonial law God gave His people about being clean in the Old Testament is a visual for them to remind them of their sin before God. I think this, this, this should make sense to us, right? It makes sense to me when I see my boys after they come in the house. They've been playing in the mud outside, and that's not a sinful thing, right? But they're filthy. They come in the house caked with mud, and they need to take all that off before they come into the house and get on the couch and sit at the table, right? They have to be clean before they can come in. It's a good visual for us, right? That is what our sin does to us in the sight of God. It makes us filthy in His sight, caked with, with the dirt. That's what sin does to us. Before God, we have to be cleansed then before we come into His presence. That's, that's the meaning of the Old Testament ceremonial law. We must be cleansed before we come into the presence of the Lord. And it's, about, it's not really about the outward things. It's about the sin that we need to be cleansed from. We see this in Leviticus 16.30. On the Day of Atonement, God cleansed His people from their sins. Same word there, cleansing uh, for, for, for purity. Right? You must be clean before the ceremonial law and you must be clean by God from your sin, forgiven of your sin. You have to bear the outward marks and the inward marks of purity and holiness. That's, that's the sense from the Mosaic law of what this word clean means. So in Jesus then, as he speaks, blessed are the clean in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, right? he, he's, he's saying, blessed are those who are not stained by sin, right? Not, not this outward purity and cleanliness that's a picture of inward purity. He wants the, the, the real thing, the inner thing. Blessed are those who have clean hearts, pure hearts before God. He's saying, in the kingdom of heaven, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you've got to have a clean heart. 
free from every stain of sin. You can't be in this kingdom if your heart isn't pure before the Lord. If your control center, your core, isn't clean. In the background of Jesus' words here, we see this. Um, we see Psalm 24. We, we read Psalm 24 responsibly earlier in the service because in this psalm, it, it, we see an echo of Jesus' Jesus' words, and probably, probably he himself has this in mind because it's such a clear allusion. We read this in Psalm 24, verses 4 to 6. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The psalm is saying to be pure in heart is, right, it's in conjunction with having clean hands. It's this outward and inward obedience. And then it parallels this with with not, not worshiping false gods. So to be pure in heart means you're keeping God's law, that, that your outer man and your inner man is devoted to God and is keeping his law, and that you're free from the stain of sin, the stain of idolatry, the stain of worshiping other gods. This is what Jesus demands. Free from the stain of sin, the stain of idolatry. But there's something else that purity means that we need to see in his words here. Right? Not only is it to be clean, but it's also to be unmixed, right? unadulterated, un, un, uncompromised. Um, we describe things as pure when there's no blemishes in them, right? when it's one pure substance, pure gold. It means there's only gold, there's no dross, it's not mixed with other things, right? or pure water. It's just water, nothing else added to it. Right? And, and as Jesus then says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, he also means this, not just clean from sin, but single-minded in heart. To be pure in heart, then, is to have your heart controlled by just one thing. Just one thing. It's when your heart is completely dominated by God. Single-minded devotion to God. When your heart has no rival, but only God. When there's no one else that your heart rests on, no one else your heart turns to, no one else your heart surrenders to, but God. This is put wonderfully in in one of our hymns called Spirit of God, Descend Upon My Heart. It puts it like this. Teach me to love Thee as Thine angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. That's the mark of the heart of a disciple, of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. One holy passion filling your whole heart. So, loved ones, what's the state of your heart? What is the inner control center of your life like? Dirty? Grimy? With sin? Stained by trusting in other gods? Loving other things apart from Him? Mixed with all these altars? to other gods. Alter to comfort, family relationships, personal pride, success, social standing, possessions, whatever it is. Or is there one throne in your heart and God sits on it? Christ sits on it. Do you have a monogamous heart? 
before the Lord. We are to be controlled by one thing, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the heart of holiness, the holiness of our hearts. This is the heart of following Christ, following Him with all our hearts. Christ is saying to us, be devoted to me. Don't, don't, don't have your heart pulled in all these other directions, right? Be devoted to me. This is the demand Christ makes of those who be in his kingdom. That we worship and trust and love and fear and follow him and him only. Now, if that's the citizenship test for the kingdom of heaven, who can enter it, right? We, we hear Christ say that. We see that I've got to have this pure heart to be a citizen. Who can enter it? It's the same question the psalm asks. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come in? Because not one of us has that pure heart that's free of every stain, that's not grimy and dirty with sin, that's single-minded in its devotion to God. Right? Our hearts are a knotted and twisted mess of competing desires and other idols that we worship and other things that we love. As we come to the gates of the heavenly kingdom, and we hear that the king has set the bar this high for citizenship in his kingdom, right, we, we should be turned away. Every single one of us. So, what does Jesus mean? Is he being naive? Does he not know the depth of our sin? No. John 2.25 says, He himself knew what was in man. He knows the human heart better than anybody. He knows the, the depths of our sin. He knows the impurities that plague us. He sets the bar this high for entering his kingdom because this is the only way you enter the holy presence of God. If you're going to come before the holy God and not be utterly destroyed, you must be pure in heart. There is no other way to come in unless you are pure in heart, unless you come before the Lord clean and devoted to him. So Jesus sets the bar this high because this is the only place the bar can be set to come into God's presence and receive blessing and favor from Him instead of His wrath. So that, loved ones, brings us to our second heading. The purity that Christ provides. We've seen the purity He demands. Now let's look at the purity that He provides. Jesus has come to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Right? As, as he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And as we think about what that means to be pure in heart, it can sound like bad news. But Jesus has come to preach the gospel. And that's the good news, right? Literally, that's what that means. He's come to preach the gospel, that the kingdom has come for sinners. So he does not intend here to crush us. He intends to save us. So what, is, what does he do? He's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. And, and we've already seen this, haven't we? He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's the first thing out of his mouth. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, who are not claiming any good works, who aren't claiming any purity of heart in themselves. They're citizens of my kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, who know how much they are sinners and who are grieved over it. He's, he's saying these things. He is coming to bless sinners in this sermon and to pour out grace on people. Before he blesses the pure in heart, he blesses those who are sinners, who know their sin and who are seeking God's grace. He's blessing the empty, not those who are full. 
It's clear from the context here then that Jesus has come to give us, to provide for us the very purity of heart that He demands from us. He has come to provide for us the very purity of heart He demands from us. This is at the very heart of what He's come to do. This is His mission. To provide for His people pure hearts so that they can come before the Lord. He came to be the sacrifice for sin. This is the way you got a clean this is, this is the way you were made clean in the Old Testament law. Sacrifice would be made. Leviticus 12, for instance, um, ceremonial law lays out that, a, that, that someone who's unclean has to have a sacrifice in order of a lamb uh, uh, to be made clean and to be atoned before God. And Jesus came to be that sacrifice so that we can have pure hearts. He comes and He sheds His blood so that His blood is sprinkled on us and so that we're cleansed by that blood from all our sins. This is the only way that sin is washed out of our hearts if the blood of Christ cleanses us. So, so your heart's stained, your heart's dirty, it's dirty with sin and guilt, you take it to Christ. It's the only place you can go. Take it to Him. Clean it, Lord. Wash it, Lord. I need you to do this for me. I can't get the stain out. Only you can by your blood, your blood that you shed for covering sins and forgiving sins. That's the first thing we do. Go to Christ. See, Lord, you provided such a rich sacrifice, such a sufficient sacrifice to clean my heart of every impurity and all its guilt. So do it, please. But we also need, we also need not just cleansing from the stain of sins. We also need, right? We also need that heart united to fear God's name. That single-minded devotion to God that, that Jesus is talking about. Does Jesus help us here? Absolutely, He does. Of course He does. He came to save us in, in every respect. And so He comes and what does He do? He has a pure heart. He lives his life with single-minded devotion to God. One holy passion filling his heart all the time to glorify, honor, and fear God. And to do whatever God has called him to do. And so he's the one who can walk up to the gates of heaven, ascend the hill of the Lord in the language of Psalm 24, and be welcomed in. Because he does have a pure heart. A holy heart. Back in Psalm 24, the psalm itself teaches this that only, only the king can fulfill this. The psalm asks the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And then at the end of the psalm, who comes in? Who comes to the hill of the Lord and comes into his holy place? The king himself does. Comes into his temple. Put it in New Testament terms, then only Jesus Christ is pure enough in heart to enter the heavenly presence of God and enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, so what he does then by his grace is he, does, he, he comes, he, he fulfills all righteousness, lives his life with this pure heart. And then when we trust in him, he, he, he counts that to us. So that as we stand before God, we're not standing there in our dirty, sinful, divided hearts, but in this, the, the clean, stainless, spotless, pure heart of our Lord Jesus Christ counted to us. And then he does more. He gives us his spirit so that we can have hearts that more and more reflect even what we've encountered to be in Christ. Hearts that learn, slowly but surely, to, to cut off those other things 
and be devoted singly to the Lord. To forsake all other loves and places of refuge and security and run to Christ and trust in Him and rest in Him. This is what Christ does for us. He demands purity of heart and then He gives it. He counts us as righteous in Himself and then He gives us His Spirit so that we can have hearts growing in more and more purity before the Lord. We cannot purify our own hearts. We cannot wash out the smallest stain or produce the smallest degree of devotion. But Christ can, and He will. So take your heart to Him and ask Him to do it. Pray that He would make it a mirror of His heart. One more thing. Final heading. The purity that Christ rewards. Christ demands purity. He provides purity. And then He promises to reward it. What is a pure heart for? What's it for? What's the purpose? What's the end game? Jesus tells us the answer is simple, but it is profound. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What would it be like to see God? To see the infinite, eternal, unchangeable Creator. To see Him. Scripture presents seeing God in a number of ways to us. It it presents seeing God, first of all, as just impossible. God's invisible. We cannot see Him. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor, glory forever. Amen. So God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. He's invisible. He can't be seen. The children's catechism. Puts it quite simply. Can you see God? No. I cannot see God. But He always sees me. Right? That's, that's a basic truth. We can't see God. So what does Jesus mean when He says, the pure in heart shall see God? Well, scripture also presents us with a sense in which God can be seen. Right? God manifests Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us in a visible display of His glory so that we can see Him. We see this... We see this uh, right in in, in Scripture. We we read of this already in Exodus 24. We see it other places. Um, While God God is invisible in His essence, He reveals Himself to us in a way that we can, that we can, uh, uh, some outward form we can see, right? Um, uh, We can behold His glory. We we don't see Him, but we see His glory. Think think of this kind of like the sun, right? We look up at the sun shining high, uh, clear in the sky at, at high noon uh, with no clouds, and it is so bright, you can't see the sun. You can see the glory coming from the brightness of the sun, and it blinds you, but you cannot see the sun itself. So it is with God. He reveals Himself to us, and He shows us His glory, a manifestation of the brilliance of His glory. But we cannot see Himself. Like, like, like looking at the sun, it's dangerous to look at God, isn't it? It's dangerous to see Him. Scripture presents this to us as well, that, um, uh, that, that to see God is a death sentence. The expectation throughout Scripture is that if you see God, you should expect to drop dead. Judges 13.22, Samson's parents get word from God that they're going to have, have a baby. He's going to be a, a savior for his people. Um, but they see an angel of the Lord. They see the angel of the Lord. And when, when Samson's father and mother 
realized this, Samson's father realizes that he's seen a visible manifestation of God himself, he is terrified and he says to his wife, we shall surely die. We have seen God. That's the expectation. The same expectation that Isaiah has. We read this in our call to worship. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord. And he says, I am undone. Woe is me. It undoes him. It destroys him. It kills him. The very angels in heaven cover their faces before the glory of the Lord. Who am I to see him? Our retinas will burn out. Our spiritual soul, you know, the, the eyes of our soul will burn out from seeing the glory of God. We are sinners. We cannot look on him. Seeing God is a deadly encounter. But, but often in Scripture, the wonderful thing is that when people do see God, it's, it's a moment of grace. And they're not destroyed. And this is what we saw in Exodus 24. Moses and the elders go up the mountain and they see the God of Israel. Interestingly, the only real comment the text makes is that they noticed what was under his feet. Their eyes were down. But what is, what is, that, what is it in that moment? They, they see God and they live and they eat and drink with him. They have fellowship and communion with God there on, on Mount Sinai. And so seeing God means also this in Scripture, that God comes and He reveals Himself to His people and He shows Himself to them in love and in His grace to them. And that this is, the, this is, this is what we were made for more than anything else. This is, this is what the whole covenant is about. All our redemption is about. All the salvation is about. Seeing God. That we might see Him and worship Him and marvel at His beauty. And we might glorify and enjoy Him, right? Our chief end, to glorify and enjoy God forever. This is what we were made for. To have our whole being filled with a vision of His goodness and greatness and glory, beauty and excellence. This is what God made us for. So Jesus is promising those in His kingdom nothing less than exactly what they were made for. The highest and best thing we can have and enjoy to see God. And as Jesus promises this, we, we, we ask, well, where do we find this? Where, where do we see God? Where, where do we see Him? We see Him, of course, most of all in Christ Himself. Jesus says this in John 14, If you'd known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you do know Him, and you've seen Him, because you've seen Me, He says. Paul says the same thing, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the brightest display of the glory of God. Right As we look at Christ, that's where we see the glory of God. This is how we have that intimate fellowship and communion with Him that we're made for in seeing Him. It's, it's through Jesus Christ. So have you already seen, have you seen God? On one hand, we can say, yes, we have. We've seen Him in the face of Jesus Christ as we read of Christ in the Word of God. As we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, we see His love for us and His power at work for us. And, 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 and right, we see Him with the eyes of faith now, but it's a real sight. It's real seeing of Him. We see His boundless grace for sinners, His holiness, His justice, His truth. We see it as we come to the Lord's table month by month. We see a visible, right? We see, we see Christ by faith there. 
We taste Him by faith. We see it in the preaching of the Word. There's a hymn that puts it like this, talking about the Word preached and the Word seen in the Supper. It says, Hear, O my Lord, I see Thee face to face. This is what we do when we come to worship. We meet with God and we see Him, not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And it's a better vision of Him than Moses had on the mountain. And better than than the elders of Israel had when they saw the vision of God there in Exodus 24. We see Jesus Christ. So much clearer display of God's glory. So much a better one even than they saw. So part of Jesus' promise here to His people is that they'll see God now in this life already by faith in Jesus Christ. But another part of His promise is that a yet better display of the presence of God is coming. And of course, that is when we'll be caught up with Christ into heaven, when the new heavens and new earth come and and we see God with pure sight and there is no more uh, cloudiness to our vision. We don't see Him with the eyes of faith, but we see Him with sight. When we dwell with Him in perfect love and fellowship and communion, uninterrupted, unclouded, forever and ever. 1 John 3, 2 says, One day, we will see Him as He is. We will ascend the hill of the Lord, go into the temple, the gates will be thrown open. We'll be there not because of ourselves, but because of Christ's pure heart for us. And we'll go in and we'll gaze upon the beauty of the Lord forever and ever. This is the reward of those who are pure in heart. It is to know God and have intimate, sweet fellowship with Him in the deepest and richest fellowship and joy forever and ever. It is, the, it is the marriage of Christ in the church that, that Jesus is talking about here. Nothing to hinder or separate God and His people. This is, this is the reward that Jesus holds out to His disciples, citizens of His kingdom. So, loved ones, look to that. Long for it. The vision of God that's coming. And seek Christ. Right, Plead with Christ to make your heart pure. You cannot see God unless you've been cleansed in Christ and given a new heart in Christ that's pure before Him. So pray that God would do this for you. That He would unite your heart to fear Him and be devoted to Him. That the control center of your life would be devotion and love to God. And that you'd see Him by faith now. And that He would bring you to that glorious sight of Him that is to come. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray that you would indeed give us the eyes of faith to see you and give us a hunger after the day when we will see you in all your glory and beauty, unclouded by sin. Father, we pray that you'd work this in us and that you would give us pure hearts. For Jesus' dear sake, amen.